let's get started. Have you guys ever felt excluded from something? Like there's an in group and then there's an out group and you kind of know you're not in that in group. I remember when my parents used to take us, my sister and I, to Sunday school. So they used to, they didn't go to church, but they wanted us to go, um, I guess, to be good kids. And I distinctly remember how it felt hard for me as a kid to feel like I belonged. Because it felt like all the other kids, like they knew all the words to the songs, doing hand movements, right? And I'm just standing there like, what is this? And there was this one time where after the kids' worship, so they had a separate kids' worship, after kids' worship, we would all separate into our Sunday school classes. And there was one time, you know, I'm still like about a month in, a few weeks in, there was one time I went to the classroom and I wanted to sit in this empty seat. And the girl, who probably grew up in church, saw me immediately put her hand down. She was like, sorry, I'm saving this for Gwendolyn. So <laughs> y'all laugh, y'all laugh. But y'all laugh, but I knew it was she didn't want to sit next to me. She didn't want to sit next to me. You know, it's interesting how sometimes, sometimes, Instead of welcoming people, the church can feel exclusive and kind of clicky, right? Kind of clicky. And I'm not saying that the church necessarily does this on purpose. We don't have an intention to make people feel left out. It's just that sometimes we forget where God's heart is. Sometimes we forget. So today's passage is going to be another example of how the religious elite have missed the mark. Jesus is going to teach them how he welcomes those who are on the outside, especially those who are on the fringes of society. And not only does he welcome them, he searches for them. He searches for them. So let's turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus is still, as Justin mentioned, still on his way to Jerusalem. And on his way, he's still teaching. He's still ministering on his way. He didn't take a break. And in, in addition to teaching, he's also been doing a lot of correction. If you guys noticed, last week, David preached on how Jesus corrected the crowd's understanding of what it means to be a disciple. Two weeks ago, John preached about how Jesus corrected the Pharisees who always wanted to sit in the places of highest honor. So this week, he's going to be checking them again. <laughs> Luke chapter 15, verse 1. I'm going to read from the ESV. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God 
over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your spirit is here. We thank you that we can glorify you in this place, that we can worship you, that we can gather as your church, as your beloved, and hear your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak right now, that you would speak through me, that you would convict hearts, that you would cut us in two, that, you, that we would hear you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So immediately we see in this passage, there's four groups of people who are introduced, right? We got the tax collectors who are grouped with this more general, you know, sinners. And we've seen that grouping before. So the tax collectors were not popular people. Tax collectors worked for Rome, and Rome extorted high taxes from the Jews. And not only did they work for Rome, for the nation that was oppressing them, they were, you know, pocketing some of the money for themselves as well. So nobody liked them. Nobody liked them. They kind of like, someone told me they're kind of like the meter maids. You know, like nobody likes meter maids. Like you don't need to be doing this. But there they are, there they are. There they are, those were the tax collectors. And, uh, and the other two groups are the Pharisees and the scribes. The scribes are the ones who knew the text. The Pharisees and scribes were like the teachers of the people. They knew the law, super knew the law, and they taught people how to apply it, how to apply it. Now it says in the first line that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. They wanted to hear him. Like whatever this Rabbi Yeshua was saying, it was something different and they wanted to learn. They're all drawing near. Now the Pharisees and scribes are there too, so presumably they're there to hear what Jesus has to say. But they're, they're not drawing near excitedly. They're kind of grumpy. <laughs> they're standing there grumbling and unhappy that there's people there that they think shouldn't be there. They're upset because they see Jesus receiving sinners. That word we have translated as receiving has a nuance of goodwill. He's receiving them favorably. He's like welcoming them. Jesus is welcoming these sinners, welcoming these unclean tax collectors, and happily breaking bread with them. Happily breaking bread. He's hanging out, according to the Pharisees, with people that he shouldn't be. Now the reason for their grumbling is probably twofold. It's probably twofold. First, they're upset because of their perceived lack of godliness on Jesus's part. You know, we've seen the Pharisees question Jesus before, like why are you healing on the Sabbath? You know, we don't do that. We don't do work on the Sabbath. But in this case, he's not breaking a law. There's no law that says he can't um, hang out with tax collectors. He's just doing something that kind of taints him, kind of taints him. He's just hanging out with the unclean. Like the Hebrew scriptures often warned people about being amongst the wicked. Like you guys remember Psalm 1 says, blessed is a man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked in the way of the sinner. You know, there's, there's a warning that you shouldn't associate yourself with people who could lead you to, to corruption. Yet there was Jesus. <laughs> eating happily, seemingly doing just that. It's almost as if you were walking down the street and you bumped into our pastor at a bar. Everyone's doing shots. You're like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And you see this happening a lot. He's just always at bars. You know, there's a, there's a discomfort in that. A, you'd be like, what are you doing here, right? So there's, there's first, first there's a perceived lack of godliness in Jesus who should be better than this according to the Pharisees. So second, 
Second, the Pharisees and scribes were probably also upset because Jesus was breaking social norms. We've already read of multiple instances where Jesus is dining at a house of a Pharisee. The Pharisees are inviting him to their homes. They know he's a great teacher. They know he's a popular teacher. They want his attention. They want him to be part of their crowd, to be part of the in crowd and follow the social rules that they follow, where they presumably act better than everybody else. It's almost like mean girls. The Pharisees and scribes are being like mean girls right now, and Jesus checks them. Jesus checks them. He tells them exactly why he's hanging out with sinners. You want to know why? Jesus is going to tell them why. He tells them three parables. We're only going to talk about two um, today. First parable, Jesus speaks directly to the Pharisees as men. He says, what man of you? So he's addressing the, the leaders as men and saying that, if, imagine yourself as shepherds who have lost a sheep. You lost a sheep. Wouldn't they naturally leave the 99 sheep that they have that are already safe, presumably in safe care or in a safe place? Wouldn't you leave them to go find the one that you lost? The second parable is similar. It's pretty much the same thing, except, the, except Jesus uses a woman. And he says there's a woman who has, she has, Nine, nine coins or ten, ten coins. coins. She, she lost, lost one, and she has to go, and she uh, naturally would go look for it. A coin back then was a drachma, which is equivalent to how much someone would make in a day. So for us, that would probably be like she lost a couple of hundred, of, a couple of hundred dollars. Wouldn't she naturally go and look for that money? Wouldn't she naturally go look for that coin? And Jesus says this to illustrate how, of course, of course, he would naturally be giving attention to those who are lost, to those who need God the most. Of course, he would welcome and receive those who are far from God and living unrighteously, those on the fringes of society. It's those who are lost that need to be found. Jesus is teaching the religious leaders that the gospel is for everyone. You might remember a very similar scenario back in chapter 5. So this is way in the beginning of Luke. This is probably last year for us. In Luke 5, we love the scriptures. We're going through it little by little. So Luke 5, last year, Jesus had, he's, he's uh, collecting his disciples. So he's calling his disciples, and he calls this man named Levi, a tax collector. He goes straight up to the tax collector and he says, follow me. Levi says, sure. And Levi throws a huge dinner party and he invites all his tax collector friends. And back then, the Pharisees were grumbling as well. But that last time, Pharisees approached Jesus' disciples and they asked the same thing. Why are you eating? Why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, not with a parable that time, he just gave this one-liner, many of us know it. He said, it's not the well who need a doctor, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. See, Je Jesus naturally is giving attention to the sick. Jesus is naturally focused on those who need repentance, those who need forgiveness. When the what the Pharisees and scribes were doing was not only separating themselves from those they were judging as sinners, but they were gatekeeping the truth and knowledge of God from the people who needed to hear it the most. Now imagine this, if there was someone in this church 
who everyone ostracized. And some women were gathering together for a Bible study. They probably wouldn't invite her. They probably wouldn't invite her. And then she misses out on what they're learning, on what they're studying. They've been excluded from the fellowship. But the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone, and especially those who are far from God. And for us, we must be so careful that we don't fall into the same sin as the Pharisees. We have to be aware. See, there's this prevalent idea that instead of redeeming the world, the church is here to condemn the world. The church is here to fight the world. The world is against the church, and we must do all that we can, not only to separate ourselves from the world, to stay away, but to also fight them politically, socially. This has happened historically. Historically, when we found dinosaur bones, all of a sudden the theory of evolution came up, and the Christians got scared. They didn't want the influence of evolution coming into their kids, coming into their families, so church made Christian colleges. Anyone go to a Christian college? Christian colleges were formed as a reaction to all the mainstream colleges becoming liberal. This happens with people who have abortions. There was one time I was a guest speaker doing a workshop to young adults at another church. And afterwards, we were praying about the pro-life movement, and I, I prayed for that God would have mercy on the women who were dealing with these situations. And I swear, I feel like one of the women canceled me because I didn't condemn the sin enough. Because I didn't condemn the sin enough. And today, I feel like the church is wringing our hands. What do you guys think I'm going to say? We're wringing our hands because idea of sexual and gender identities have come into play. We don't know what to do. I feel like the church, instead of courageously equipping our children with biblical truth, exhorting them to love with boldness and empathy, instead of doing that, we're retreating. We're retreating, and we're getting angry. And we've made caricatures of the people we disagree with. And we're fighting those caricatures. We despise them, and we'd rather agree with non-Christian political commentators than with Jesus. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Would he stay away? Would he stay away? Or would he press in? And how would we react if we saw Jesus at a gay bar? How would we react if we saw Jesus at a gay pride parade? Would we be like, what are you doing here? Would we be grumbling? Oh, you shouldn't be there. You should be at Bible study with Zion. Jesus. Jesus was not interested in sitting in places of honor. Jesus didn't care about his reputation amongst the religious elite. He didn't care what the scribes and the other teachers thought of him. He didn't want to be part of the in-group, the mean girls club. Jesus welcomed anyone who wanted to hear, no matter where they came from, no matter their background, no matter what sins they have or are committing, no matter how they identify. And I know it's easier. It's easier to just stay away from sinners and focus on our own holiness. It's almost like we want to protect our own salvation, right? We're scared. They're going to lead us astray. They're going to corrupt our kids. But when we think like this, when we think like this, when we think like the Pharisees, when we, then we remove opportunities for unbelievers to hear the witness of the gospel from us. 
We're, we're not, not there. there. Who, Who is, is going, going to tell them? them? If, if we're, we're all here, here the, the church, church is hanging out here doing our holy, holy, whatever breakfast. If we're over here, who is going to tell them? Who is going to tell them? Most of us are believers because someone reached out to us when we were dead in our sin. We would not be saved if they were so busy doing their thing, worried about us drawing them away from God. We would not be saved. We would not be saved. The gospel is for everyone, and especially those who are far from God. Now, both, both of Jesus' parables, parables here have a happy ending, ending. which isn't it's always true, true, right, with Jesus' parables. parables. A lot, a lot of the stories, it's like, oh, my God. They end in, 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 in condemnation. condemnation. But, but these two, these two are extremely positive, extremely positive. positive. The, the shepherd, shepherd not only finds his sheep, he lays his sheep on his shoulders, he goes home, he's rejoicing, he's calling all his friends and neighbors, hey, rejoice with me. Same with the woman. The woman searches everywhere. She finds her coin, calls all her friends and neighbors. She's like, rejoice with me. I found my coin. It's a great ending. It's a great ending. And through this, Jesus is illustrating the joy that occurs in heaven before God when one sinner repents. When a sinner repents and turns to him, there is joy. God rejoices when people repent and turn to him. And that's the crux of it. That's the crux of it, really. If you can understand why God is so happy, then you understand the gospel. The Pharisees and the scribes have completely missed the mark. They have no idea how valuable these tax collectors and sinners are to God. They have no idea how much God loves queer people how much he pursues Trump supporters, how much he yearns for both the Israeli military and Hamas to return to him. He loves those who are gentrifying our neighborhoods. He loves those who we think are corrupting society. He loves those who have had divorces and had abortions. See, the Pharisees judge the sinners as unclean, as rebellious. They don't know that sin does not deter God's love for them. God, sin does not deter God's love from his lost people. It doesn't matter if the sheep that was found is found muddy, the broken leg stuck in a pit. It doesn't matter if the coin that is found is dusty, dirty, covered with scratches. The shepherd rejoices, and the woman rejoices, and God rejoices when his people are found. God rejoices when they turn to him and he will make them new. The emphasis on joy in these parables cannot be understated. It's, it's repeated over and over again. It's like, if you don't get it, there's friends and neighbors rejoicing here. So I'm trying to think of an equivalent illustration that maybe we could relate to. And I thought about sports fans. And I thought about, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with soccer fans because they're, they're kind of mental, but soccer fans, soccer fans, Imagine you're a soccer fan, and you're in a sports bar, and on the TV is the World Cup, and everyone there is cheering for the same team. And in soccer, it takes like forever to get a point, so everyone's just watching. And when that point is made, when that goal is scored, the uproar that occurs, the uproar that explodes in that bar, is how I imagine heaven is like. 
when a sinner comes to Christ, when a sinner comes to Christ, it is that kind of joy. It is that kind of joy. It is that kind of elation. God is a fanatic pursuing his lost children. And he doesn't care how unrighteously they've been living. He doesn't care. He will be in that garden asking, where are you? When we have covered ourselves in our hiding and our shame, did you guys know that the first animal sacrifice happened long before the temple? The first sacrifice was when God killed animals to get their skin so that they could cover the humans from their shame. God sacrificed an animal for our sin, and then God sacrificed Jesus so that our sin could be covered for all eternity. So let no one ever doubt from the beginning, let no one ever doubt God's love for them, no matter how deep their sin may be. Whatever state we may be in, he will rejoice if we turn back to him. And we, the church, we should be sharing God's heart for his broken people. We should care more about the lost and have more zeal and emotion to see their salvation than many of the other things that we care about. I remember how I felt, uh, this was many years ago, but back in my old church, there were these two friends that we had. One friend had accepted Christ pretty early on, but he never wanted to get baptized. So we knew there was something, he was holding something back, right? And then the other friend was hanging out with us, doing everything that we were doing, but he never wanted to accept Christ. He, he was waiting for some kind of supernatural sign to like hit him on the head and God actually allowed a health issue to, to come into his life which is what eventually turned him to Christ. But the day that they got baptized, the day that both of them were like, I'm gonna publicly declare that I belong to Christ, I was crying. I was crying because it had taken so long. I was crying with emotion. See, we should be sharing that emotion with heaven. We should be pumping our fists. We should be cheering when someone comes to the Lord. We're the friends of God. We're the friends of Jesus, the neighbors who have come to have a party because a lost sheep was found. But emotion, joy, it's not the only thing we should be sharing. You know, if we follow Jesus, we've been commissioned as part, part of, of Jesus' Jesus search party. You know, my, my kids, kids sometimes like to play follow the leader, right? Because it's an easy game, and even my two-year-old can be the leader. <laughs> now, follow the leader only has one rule. You just, whatever the leader does, you follow him. So then how can we say that we follow Jesus, but, but we're not doing the things that Jesus is doing? We're not looking for his lost sheep. Like, we can't say in the same breath, that Jesus is reconciling the world to God, and we follow him as we, I don't know, chill on our couches watching Netflix and order things on Amazon. You know, if a kid's playing video games, if a kid's playing video games, and the mom's like, hey, go, go wash up for dinner. And he's like, I'm doing it. He's still got the controller in his hand. We're not, we're not fooling anyone. We're not fooling anyone. Jesus has commanded us to continue his work, to continue his ministry on earth as his body. We 
We now, we are the temple. We have the spirit in us. We are his ambassadors. We are his witnesses. We're, we are both disciples and apostles. We are both learning as students and also ones who are sent. We must follow him and search for God's people until they are found. But how? That's a broad statement, right? That's really abstract. What do you mean, Tiff? How would we do this? So I'm going to give some principles I took out of the, the parables, out of this passage. The first thing we can do, we got to leave the 99. We got to leave the, we can't stay in our comfort zone of the church, the comfort zone of Christians and hope that maybe the lost will find us, maybe through Instagram. I mean, people do. People do. But we can't just stay here. We can't separate ourselves from those who don't know Jesus. We have to spend time with those who need salvation. We have to be witnesses for Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we're not wise about it, right? I'm not saying that, like, I don't want anyone leaving here and being like, yo, Tiff said I can go to the strip club with the boys because I got to reach out to them. Like, that's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. We don't partake in sin, amen? We don't partake in sin. That's a given. But we shouldn't dismiss people out of our lives just because they're not following the God that they still need to know. Imagine a lost sheep is your family member who just confessed that they've been doing drugs. They've been dealing drugs. You don't gotta shoot up with them to love them. We have, we have to, to meet and form relationships with those outside the church. For some of us, this might require some effort. For me, it requires effort, because now I'm in ministry, I got kids to raise. And I have to intentionally find spaces to be around non-Christians. Recently, I got upset, because we've been going to open houses for schools, and I realized I might have to join the PTA. <laughs> and... <laughs> I had, in my, I, I had in my head that once my youngest goes to school next year, like, I'm going to be free. And I'm going to take culinary classes and do all this stuff, right? Telling, I was telling my husband all these plans. And then I realized, like, the missional opportunity that is afforded to us when we send our kids to public school, like, that is immense. Like, that is immense. You are amongst them. You have a reason to be amongst them. You can be a light in the school that your child is in. And then I cried. I cried because I wanted to do my own thing. I'm kidding. I'm not crying. I'm not crying. I'm not crying. I'm going to say something difficult, and I might get in trouble for this. But we don't need to do every single thing that the church is doing if it is hindering our ability to connect with those who don't know Jesus. We don't have, Zion has 50 million things on our app. Let's be real. We are an active, happy community church. But if your friends who don't know Christ are like, yo, I never see you anymore. You're always doing church stuff. Maybe we could scale back. Maybe we can scale back. Like, yo, we'll be fellowshipping forever for eternity. Don't worry about it. You didn't catch, you, you missed that person. You're, you're going to see them again. You can, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Maybe not next Tuesday. You're going to see them again. Don't worry. Don't worry. So the first is that we have, to, we have to spend time with those who don't know Christ. We have to leave the 99. Second, in the parable with the woman, the first thing she does is she lights the lamp because she can't see. See, back then, a lot of the homes were built without windows. So it's dark unless you have an internal light source. 
And for us, we got to make sure our lamps are lit. Make sure we're prayed up so we don't fall into temptation as we interact with the world. We have to make sure we know our scripture. We have to make sure we're connected with the spirit and we know the word. Because if we can't explain the gospel to ourselves, then how are we going to explain to someone when they ask about the hope that we have? And that could happen and that could happen in the elevator. You don't want to be caught off guard. Get your lamp lit. Be ready so you can see, so you can guide someone the way to Jesus. If you can't see yourself, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to follow him. Second, to get your lamp lit. Get ready. You know, years ago, I was tasked to lead a, a workshop on evangelism for a young adult group. So I decided to poll the congregation. And I was like, what are the top three reasons that you hesitate to share the gospel? The number one reason was, I don't know enough. I'm scared I don't know enough. And I thought, like, well, that's not a hard problem to solve. Just learn. Just, that's not insurmountable. You don't know how to share it. Learn how to share it. We're going searching with Jesus. All right, third. First, we have to spend time with believers, leave the 99. Second, get your lamps lit so you could see. Third is that we have to sweep the house. And by sweeping the house, I'm going to say that means we got to look everywhere. we got to look everywhere. She's not concentrated. The woman's not concentrated on this small space. We have to look everywhere. How many of us think evangelism only happens when there's some concerted effort, like when we gave out boxes of love with Res Church? That's the only time evangelism happens. Or some of us think mission only counts if it's in another country, like DNK. But... That's only one place. That's not, that's not everywhere. We've got to sweep the whole house. We've got to look everywhere. God's lost people could be hiding in plain sight. You know, the other day, and we've got we to look for these opportunities. Um, a few months ago, I got my annual haircut, and I went to a new salon, and the woman there was cutting my hair, and she was talking with me, and she was, like, she was saying, that, oh, yeah, I just moved from Bay Ridge to Staten Island. And once I heard that, I jumped. I was like, oh, my pastor just defected and left to Staten Island. <laughs> and I told her, I was like, I was mad because we planted a church. We started a church in Bay Ridge. And then he totally betrayed me and left. <laughs> and because I started with that, she immediately asked, oh, what church is it? And as she continued to cut my hair, she started sharing about how she used to go to church years ago, but she got really hurt. And she hasn't been back since. I told her about Zion. I shared with her our social media. See, God's people can be anywhere, even when you're getting a haircut. Think of those one-liners. They're actually really helpful. I, I use that all the time. You, you guys can use it, too. Staten Island! <laughs> <laughs> all right, fourth, fourth, fourth. Fourth, come back, come back. So fourth, this is going to be the last one. This is going to be the last one. Fourth, we have to seek. We have to seek diligently. We have to seek diligently. We have to do this mission well, and we have to be faithful to the search because it can take a long time. It can take a long time. Not every day is going to be like, hallelujah, someone wants to be baptized, someone's saved. It can take a long time to, bring, to find someone. You know, in the parable, the shepherd, it says he goes after the sheep. And I learned, because I don't know anything about farming, I learned that when sheep are lost, they get scared. They get skittish. And they, start, they might even run away. So it might take a while. It might take a while. 
The woman's working hard. She's seeking diligently until she finds her coin. So let's not give up. Let's be faithful. Let's be diligent. Let's search for the lost until all are found. You know, today's passage highlights so much of the depth of God's heart for his people. So much. And when we get it wrong, when we get it wrong, when we see the world as sinners to condemn and separate ourselves from, to to maintain our own purity, when we get it wrong, then we focus on protecting ourselves and we forget that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for those people that we hate and we disagree with. But when we get it right, when we get it right, when we understand the love that the shepherd, the ultimate shepherd has in his pursuit, when we understand the gospel, then we can join in the search and we won't be afraid. And we can rejoice with heaven when someone comes to salvation. And I know that sometimes it's hard, I know. Sometimes maybe you just started exploring Jesus again, you know, you don't. Maybe, maybe hanging out with your old friends might be leading you wrongly. You don't want that influence. That's okay. That's okay. Separate yourself. But as you grow stronger, as you learn the word, as you develop roots, you got your solid Christian community. If you've been freed from your sins and your addictions, then how can you not look back and have sympathy for those who have not yet found it, for those who have not yet found Jesus? How can you stay away? We must search for the lost until they're found. I want to close with just one last thought. If you struggle with desiring people, especially certain groups of people, to come to know Christ, ask God about it. Ask God. It's okay. You can be honest with God. You'd be like, oh, I, I just don't care, God. But ask God. Ask God about why he had so much joy when you became a Christian. Ask him how he felt when you were in sin and why he didn't give up on you. And just ask him, can I share that heart with you? See what he does. See what he does. You know, at the end of every service, you know how we do a benediction? You guys know what a benediction is? A benediction is a blessing. It's a blessing from God on his people. And my professor once described it as this. He said a benediction is like a kiss like from a mother to a child as they go off to school. The benediction is a kiss from God onto his people before we separate and go back into our mission fields. Wherever we go, God's with us. In the back, we will have people ready to pray with you. If there's anything you've been wrestling with, if something in this, in this uh, sermon has spoken to you, if you are really struggling with this idea of bringing other people to Christ, come to the back come to the back. You know, sometimes there are things that's hard for us to pray on our own, and it's much easier if someone prays with us. So I'm going to close with that. There is power in the church. There is power in our words. There is power in scripture. There is power in our faithfulness to God. So let's do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have the honor to be in your search party, Lord. We thank you that you have chosen us to do the work that you are doing. Lord, it is an honor for us to be sent with your spirit to people who don't know you. And Lord, we ask that we would be part of the work so that we can be part of the joy. Lord, we want to rejoice with you. We want to rejoice with the angels in heaven. We want to celebrate 
when someone comes to Christ, and Lord, we ask that you would use us. Use us to that end. Use us to build your church. Use us so that heaven will be filled. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.